This is Undisciplined. I'm Matthew Moore, producer of the podcast, and we're getting ready to bring you our second live episode. A thank you to Akib Art Gallery in Fort Smith for hosting this conversation. And, as our host Kareem Bantanoi says, let's get into it. So, uh, thank you for coming. Thank you for being a part of this. Uh, I hope you're as excited to hear from these panelists as I am. Um, and I'll start by saying I'm not from Arkansas. I'm originally from Illinois. <laughs> Thank you. I don't think we're from the same part of Illinois, though. Because I'm from Illinois, we're Indiana, Illinois, and Kentucky all meet in the middle of nowhere where there's nothing but cornfields and coal mines, but that's okay. Because I've made it to Arkansas, and I love it here. And... For me, I don't really know much about Fort Smith, unfortunately. I've only been here for a few years. And so as Dr. Banton and I were talking about this panel and this group of experts that we have here on the city of Fort Smith, we thought to ourselves, how do you start talking about Fort Smith? You talk to experts. We're certainly happy to be here and to have these great panelists, uh, such a great variety of uh, um, guests that we have here to you know, learn more about Fort Smith. But as I was thinking about it, and I was thinking about what can I say about Fort Smith, Matt? Mm -hmm. My first encounter with Fort Smith was, you know that movie that just came out, The Harder They Fall? Have you guys seen it? Sure. Yeah. That, that's, that, that was like, oh, yeah, that's kind of part of it happens in Fort Smith, <laughs> you know? And I was like, oh, the best Reeves character, right? And so I was like, okay, I can work with that. I like that. I like that all black movie. Uh, and so um, that was my, my encounter with, like, okay, I can use that as a jump-off point to get to know more about Fort Smith. But certainly I know there's lots more to discover. Yeah, so I'm going to take a moment to introduce our panel and we'll jump right into it. So uh, welcome to Undisciplined. My name is Matthew Moore. I'm the producer of Undisciplined. And I am Karee Banton, and I am, uh, you know. You're I'm the host. The, I'm the host of Undisciplined. You're a big deal. <laughs> to Karee's left here, we have Chris Cheney. Howdy. Let's give him a round of applause. <laughs> to Karee's right, we have Sherry Tolliver. We have Talisha Richardson. We have a much more difficult name, John Blue. And last but not least, we have Jay Richardson. Thank you all for being here. Uh, we'll start to my left here. Um, we'll start by asking, what, what is Fort Smith to you? To me, Fort Smith is the greatest city this side of the Mississippi. <laughs> Elaborate. Elaborate. What makes it so? Oh man, Fort Smith is the biggest small town that you'll ever meet. The community is is awesome. You know, trials and tribulations. The, the community always comes together. Um, it's it's a beautiful city. Um, of course, I'm born and raised here. Had a chance in my early twenties to. I still look like I'm in my twenties, don't I? Yeah. <laughs> I had a chance in my early 20s to do a lot of traveling uh, with music, and I've been to some of the biggest cities in America, and I realized they all have the same problems, but what I also realized, they don't have the community that we have in Fort Smith at all, um, and I just I just love it. Uh, I don't 
really have anything bad to say about Fort Smith. I love this city. I've had an opportunity many times to say, man, I should just leave. And I'm thinking, no, why, why would I leave this? I mean, this is a beautiful, beautiful place to be. Scenery is great. Uh, and again, the community is what makes this place even as great as it is, because even though it's a, it's a well, we, we fell behind Fayetteville in the census this past, and I, I'm kind of upset about that piece of it, but uh, <laughs> but as big as it is, it's just that small. You know, everybody knows everybody, um, and being able to, uh, you know, reach out. You know, I have some amazing mentors here in this town, and so I just, I absolutely love it. Wouldn't change it for the world. I, I love Fort Smith as well. I grew up here in a different time from most of you here because I'm much older. So when I grew up in, in Fort Smith, uh, the city was segregated. I grew up in the, in the 50s and the early 60s and I left in 63 and was gone for almost 30 years. But I came back in, in uh, 1990 and I love it here. I couldn't wait to get away in 63 and then I couldn't wait to get back. Um, I missed it. I miss the community, just like Chris said. Um, I, mi I miss everything about it because when, when I came back, uh, my girlfriend and I, we came back, we started a black newspaper here in town in 1993. Uh, she missed her paper in Los Angeles. I missed the black paper in Kansas City, Missouri. And so we got together and we said, why don't we start one here? And so we did. But anyway, we would see people in grocery stores and, and they would look familiar and we said, we used to say, who is, who is your mother? Who, who are your parents? And we would always know them. Yeah. And, and then when we came back, we thought, who is your grandmother and who is your grandfather? <laughs> because, you know, they were, they were older and we were older. But anyway, I love Fort Smith. It is a great community to be in. It's a great community to, to retire to, great place to raise a family, great place to live, great colleges and, and uh, medical facilities. And it's just, just wonderful. It just has everything. So Ms. Tolliver said it best, and I like to describe it as there's, people are used to six, six degrees of separation. When you come to Fort Smith, it's two degrees. <laughs> you know, everybody knows everybody, or they're going to find a way to connect with you. And um, we came back, we were gone for almost 20 years, but I remember before I left was at the time that you had just come back. And um, I was going off to college, and they highlighted me going off to college. You know, like the, new, the Lincoln Echo, this young lady is going off to Spelman College. And, <laughs> and I'm like, we got a newspaper, and they put my name in it. You know? So it was just saying, I remember. And so you, you have a, there's a sense of community, a sense of uh, village. And um, although I did not grow up in the era that Ms. Tolliver did, the, the things that I recall is the stories, because I was that nosy child, right, that listened to the days of Lincoln High School, that looked when my mom was driving down 9th Street, and I'm seeing the pool hall, and I'm seeing all these different things, and I remember the nostalgia of those buildings from a lens of a, of a small child, so when we came back, it was like, wow, what can I do? What can we do collectively to recreate these fond memories mm -hmm. that were really segregation, but to me it was more community, more community. All right. Um, for me, I'm probably the, I'm the only person on the panel that's not from Fort Smith. So being from Florida, um, 
yeah, Fort Smith is is different. You know, <laughs> it's, it's different. It's it's real different. It's real different. Um, it's a great small city um, with a lot of potential. I think still a lot of untapped potential um, in this city, um, and. Once that potential is tapped here in Fort Smith, I think that the, the, the city is going to flourish even more. Um, I can see where, you know, infrastructure and things of that nature are kind of taking off here in Fort Smith. But I think once we can really tap into the untapped potential that's in the city, that the city will flourish even more. Yeah. Uh, so, like Talisha said, we, we moved back uh, a few years ago. Uh, we'd been gone almost 20 years. So when we left... Uh, I was determined to get the heck out of Dodge, right? I wanted to get out of Fort Smith. And, and what I realized is is leaving, as much as I would tell Talisha, we're not going back, we're not going back. Every time we came back, I wanted to come back a little more. And some of the things that want, that brought me, that really drove me coming back, family, of course. But uh, I, I started seeing some of the guys I, I grew up with in terms of mentors. Uh, our, our current mayor, Mr. McGill, uh, Benny Shepard, Coach Relaford. I mean, all of these guys I would come back, I would see, and, and they would always say, well, 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 Jay, now, when are you coming back? You know, so um, those things help, help drive you, and that sense of community, that sense of family. Uh, we, we had just had our son, so we made the decision to bring it back because we wanted him to feel what that's like, uh, and, and it's been one of the best moves we've made. Can I can I say about I, I about Jay Richardson yeah. that I know his I knew his grandparents I knew his grandparents his grandmother used to teach me in Sunday school mm. so this is the kind of community we have I know his his grandmother babe and even his uh, grandfather Dennis uh, Walker and his mother and his uncle was a classmate of mine and so. We just, we just grew up like family, neighbors, and we all went to the same churches, and all the kids went to the same school because there was only one, well, there was several black grade schools, but only one black high school. And it was actually a junior high and a senior high combined, and that was Lincoln. But the grade schools, you had Dunbar, you had uh, Washington, Washington, you had uh, St. John, and Howard. Howard School was the second public school built in 1887, right behind Bell Point. And Howard School is still functioning today as a school, and it's a blue ribbon school. Yes. I mean, it's a, an award-winning school. A-plus art school as well. Our and son a, goes there. Right, so. right. Their son goes there, yeah, at Howard. So we have a lot to be very proud of as, as, a, as a community, as a culture. And even though we grew up in a, I grew up in a city, a small city within a larger city, we had boundaries. But we still were able to make relationships work between the races even. Even though we had separate schools, separate churches, separate businesses, couldn't go to the hospitals, couldn't do a lot of things you could not participate in. But we still, we, we form relationships between uh, one another. It was a unique kind of experience. Well, it's, it's such a joy to hear about community. I mean, you know, um, us as black people, we're always talking about it takes a village to raise um, children. And certainly 
um, to to keep our peace of mind, certainly. But I'd, I'd want to hear now, you all are in different lines of work and doing different kinds of businesses that's serving the community in different kinds of ways. Uh, so I'd like to hear a little bit about that, your line of work and how you see yourself of, as being of service to this community that you're saying has given you so much. We'll start with Jay, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, exactly. Uh, no, I, I, I guess I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, my family and I own, own a couple of businesses here in Fort Smith. And uh, then, you know, probably my most important job, in my opinion, is I'm, I'm a state representative and representing the north side of Fort Smith and better yet, Fort Smith in general. But, uh, but yeah, so that's, that's currently my line of work. How does that impact your community? I mean, it, it may be obvious to you so, how, how being a state representative impacts your community. So, Do you hear from constituents? Oh, yeah. Like? Oh, yeah. 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 What yeah, are their concerns? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it, 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 it's funny. Uh, you know, I, I think I'm lucky in the fact that I do hear from so many different constituents, uh, whether they're within my district or just within the city itself. Uh, the biggest thing that I, I think I, I enjoy the most is when I'm able to help someone who, who, who doesn't or isn't able to get the help they need, uh, whether I'm able to, to help a, a family get, get a, a, a son out of prison for a funeral or helping reunite a mother and a child or uh, helping somebody with their tax concerns or helping somebody find some, some funds that are out there. I've got one of my, one of my favorite people in Fort Smith is Miss is Tidwell. And Miss Tidwell will call me, hey, Jay, it's some money in the state. Go find it. <laughs> Go find it. Uh, but, but those are the things I enjoy doing. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, un unfortunately, nowadays, politics gets a black eye. Uh, and a lot of people will jump into this field and say, well, I'm not a politician. Well, we engage in politics, so I guess we are politicians. Uh, but I think I view it a little differently because I truly do think of it as a, as a calling to serve. And I enjoy serving the people in my district, uh, the people that make up our district, and for that matter, who make up our city, Fort Smith. All right. All right. Uh, my, my role uh, at the University of Arkansas, Fort Smith, is what actually brought me to Fort Smith, Arkansas. I currently serve as the executive director for diversity, equity, and inclusion for the institution. Um, I guess coming here, being an outsider, you know, I always say I'm an outsider from Fort Smith, but coming to Fort Smith, trying to make that connection with the community. So first making a connection with, well, technically, Talisha Richardson was like my first connect who actually connected me with Chris Cheney. And when I found, you know, Chris, I started to find my community within Fort Smith. Um, within my role um, at the institution, just um, looking at some of the data that the institution had in reference to uh, retention, uh, recruitment retention, graduation rates, and things of that nature, breaking that, that data down by demographic and seeing where the institution was lacking, um, which our lowest retention rate um, is our black males on campus. We, we, one, we don't recruit them by leaps and bounds at UA Fort Smith, and then also when we do get them, um, we lose them very quickly. So um, just looking at the data, 
drove me to actually establish Men of Excellence, uh, which is an initiative ran out of my office um, within the institution um, to help combat the, the retention rate and ho hopes in hopes to increase that graduation rate and, of course, increasing the recruitment of black and brown males um, to the institution. The organization is open to all males, so anybody can actually join if they identify as male, but we do target black and brown males because that's the, po that's the actual population that needs the most assistance um, from my office. So um, that's the biggest thing. And, and when I talk about the untapped potential uh, of Fort Smith, that's, that's my part in helping to tap that potential that's here in Fort Smith and getting the young men um, that, that are in the area to come to the institution to retain that population, to graduate them at a larger rate. Um, so that's kind of what I do. Um, I'll do a little bit more than that in a nutshell, yeah. but uh, yeah. So I, I kind of lost that um, question for a minute. I'm going to try to recall it. I was just lost in my husband's. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he hates things like that, so that's why I had to say that. <laughs> she, she, she hasn't seen me all week. That's what I mean. <laughs> We love it. <laughs> so um, as the executive director of 646 downtown, so 64.6 represents the square miles of the city of Fort Smith. And our organization is most known for the unexpected mural installation across the city of Fort Smith, but also our work with our canvas. It, we put 13 murals up across the state of Arkansas. So the objective with that particular project, if you will, or programming was to infuse a very um, intentional arts and culture um, engagement in the city of Fort Smith and we brought in at the time the founder of the organization Steve Clark international artists that were experts in their particular field and so they basically in an unexpected way um, infused a street art urban culture into Fort Smith considered the wild wild west and with that came your positive comments but also you're not so positive. And with doing that, you, you saw, are we really open to diversity from an international aspect, but also diversity with regards to arts? Because even with cr the creative economy, we want to assume that it's paintings, the symphony. It's these things that are very prestigious, right? High art. High, fine, fine art where art is in the eye of the beholder. So that was the goal of the organization. But as it morphed, it was like, how do we bring not only arts and culture, but the finance behind that, the creative economy with that? So in my role as executive director, we had to take a step back because our community, our community didn't know who we were. And when I say community, you have a certain group of people that are volunteering. That's your um, stay-at-home moms. You have a certain demographic with that, that have the time, the energy, the finances to come out and volunteer. So now we're more intentional with our engagement. For example, we had black history programming over the past four months or four years. We are planning other activities with live music 
that are free concerts with the Levitt Amp Fort Smith Music Series. So we're more intentional now with our programming of events to center around our Fort Smith community. And I think when you have people in roles and they're, they get the data, they look at the research and they say, okay, how can I make sure that this group that may not have a voice or they have a voice but people are not listening to said voice, how can I act as that voice? How can I get more information from them? And it may not be in the platform of a social media or email blast, but more personal relationships. And I think that COVID has thrown us off our game, but at the same time, there are a lot of people that have intentional, authentic relationships that are not behind a keyboard. So I, I really appreciate forums like this because like John said, he contacted me and said, hey, Talisha, we connect over food and, and hair. <laughs> and he's like, I need to find a barber. I'm like, I got your guy. He's a community <laughs> person. Let me connect you with him. He's like, well, just send me. I, I got a cell phone number. I can make this happen. And then from there, he and Jay found out they were fraternity brothers. I mean, it's, so just, it's just this evolution of authentic relationships and connectivity that we have as a culture that we can continue to cultivate as a community if we step from behind the keyboard. Food in here, that is the truth. <laughs> <laughs> well, my passion is history. Um, I'm presently the uh, president of the Fort Smith Historical Society, and I've held that position for the last seven years. Uh, I've also been uh, president of the Lincoln Alumni Association for 10 years. And we did the newspaper in 93, and we kept that for eight years going and then sold it to other people from uh, Lincoln High School. And they kept it going for another 12, 15 years. So that black newspaper, the Lincoln Echo, I'm very proud of this point that it is now the longest running black newspaper in the entire state of Arkansas. So we're, we're proud of that. And it is on microfilm at the college, at oh, the Pebbly Center. So nice. anybody can get the link and go back and look at all those newspapers that were published between 93 and 2018. It stopped in 2018. So, but that's my passion, history. And the reason we started the newspaper was because Lincoln High School was a, uh, an all-black high school, and it was torn down after integration. And so all those students that had been educated there uh, in 75 years of, of its being built, marvelous teachers, great, great people came out of there that did wonderful things, accomplished great, extraordinary things. And so we wanted people to know that, not only uh, black children coming up, but we wanted the white community to be proud that this school was here and the impact. And I still don't think people realize the impact that Lincoln had on this whole area. Children would come from Alma, from Huntington, from even from Fayetteville. People would send their children to Fort Smith to be educated because they didn't have a black high school in the mm -hmm. small towns oh, wow. where they were growing up. Mm -hmm. So they had to come to Fort Smith to, to be educated. Even Oklahoma. Oklahoma, yeah. yeah. And so I, I want people to know that. So I'm real passionate about getting the, uh, the information to people about the graduates, where they went. We had a slogan. I don't know if y'all remember the slogan. Arkansas, the land of opportunity. 
And when I was in high school, we added to that. The first opportunity I get, I'm leaving. <laughs> that's, what, that's what we would say. The first opportunity I get, I'm leaving. And, and, and so we left. When, when the kids graduated in the 40s, in the 50s, they went to, to Chicago. They went to California. They went to New York. Detroit. They went to Detroit. Milwaukee. They went to Dallas. They went all, all over. And they carried that culture with them. They, car they carried all that information that they had gotten at Lincoln, where we got the substandard materials. I never, I never had a book with a back on it. Mm. Uh, white schools would get new materials, we would get their old stuff. Mm -hmm. And so that's how we came up, but it didn't matter because the teachers we had were so phenomenal that they were teaching us what we needed to learn in order to function in, in a multicultural world. And so, and, and so we got it. So that's my passion. That's why I did the newspaper. That's why my girlfriend and I, uh, my classmate Barbara Meadows, we, we, in 2015 we published a history book of Lincoln High School. And we've sold over 300 copies of that book right now. So, but anyway, so everybody will know. And that book is so thick because we tried to put everything in there that, that people would need to know about us as, as uh, coming out of a black school and having black teachers and, and yet excelling to a point where one lady was in California and after leaving Lincoln and she ended up being the director of, of some city office, but they had had a nationwide search to fill this job. And it came down to 18 candidates and she was one of them. She got the job from Fort Smith, Arkansas. And it just makes you real proud, you know, to, to know those kind of things were, were going on. And so that's, that's my passion, history. Wonderful. Absolutely. You and I both as historians. <laughs> Great. And I guess you are the man with the hair. Well, it's, <laughs> I got it to hair. That, that was um, my aunt in California, which is, and we're talking about Lincoln. So my aunt in California and my grandmother went to Lincoln. And so I... And I'm a product of Howard Elementary. And so, you know, when you look at the standard that Lincoln created, and then that standard trickled down to Howard. And I would, man, look, you had teachers, Mr. Abernathy, Mr. Hendricks, that, that when it came to being a man, they're like, listen. You know, they were straight up and down guys. And so, um, you know, uh, and, and tons of teachers there. And I think it's cool that when you look at the connection where even Jag, uh, Jen Chalisa's son, is, is, is at Howard. And so you, you kind of, that thing comes full circle. Right. And I've always said that Lincoln alumni, um, almost everybody that went to Lincoln that I can think of are, are successful people. Right. Like, and it's, it's, it's crazy, you know, and I'm hearing those stories because my grandmother and aunt would, would tell those stories as well. And so... Um, but I got into hair. It was, it was completely random. Uh, for real, it was, it was my aunt said it was one of the most random decisions that I'd ever made, and which is true, true to form. I, um, I started my community career in Fort Smith uh, via rap music, okay? And so uh, I remember telling Coach Jennings in junior high, he'd say, Chaney, you know, cause he said, how do you fail P.E.? He said, he said, I'm going to flunk you if you don't do something because I'd be out in the hallway writing raps, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember telling teachers, hey, man, listen, I'm not taking the ACT because I'm going to be a rapper when I get out of here. And, and, and 
college can't help me with that. Uh, and you'd be amazed at how many rappers got college degrees. So, <laughs> and, and so, uh, so, so that was it was kind of ironic. But anyway, um, when I got out of high school, uh, shortly after I went into radio for a little bit, so I, I was I was picking his brain before the podcast because I mean I was over here nerding out with him, and uh, got in the radio and ended up signing an independent deal. Uh, the label was in Ohio, so I traveled a lot. Um, got back to town and I linked up with director Andre Good um, just v- through the Juneteenth uh, and just volunteering and different things like that and I looked around and I said you know I know um, at my age at some point these these guys the leaders are getting older and I said Andre who do I need to connect with so I can get more involved you know plug and he said man you should go talk to uh, at the time Mr. McGill had an insurance firm he said you should go, go talk to George McGill and I remember going to his office, you know, and, and, and I, you know, how can, can we help you? And I said, I'm, I'm here to see Mr. McGill. And I remember sitting in his office saying, Mr. McGill, I don't want anything from you. I just want to listen. I just want to listen. You know, I just want to learn. I just want to soak up the information. And developed a relationship with Mr. McGill. Um, career-wise, bounced around a little bit, worked in construction for a little bit, delivered pizzas and rolled, rolled burritos, and uh, landed a job uh, at a janitorial company. And unbeknownst to me, and I, I didn't even remember, I'd met Talisha working at this janitorial company. And so when you start talking about two degrees of separation and how everything is connected, it's, 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 it's really surreal when you, when you think about it. And uh, so I'm working for this janitorial company, um, and I got a, a harebrained idea that I can clean toilets better than anybody I know. I, I'm, I'm going to start my own company. Um, Michael Gerber has a book, The E-Myth Revisited, and he talks about the difference between entrepreneurs and the technician. And I was a technician that thought I could do my boss's job better than him. <laughs> <laughs> and so I start this janitorial company, and, and I'm looking around, I'm saying, man, I just gave up 40 hours a week for 80 hours a week and no guarantees. And when I remember when I quit my job, I sent it through a text message because he told me the next time I text him that request out that he would fire me. And so I said, well, I'm going to burn this bridge. <laughs> and so I sent the text How message. How did that go, Chris? Uh, he, I, I said, hey, listen, uh, your shirts and keys are on your front porch. I appreciate every opportunity you got, but I have an opportunity that I can't pass up. And uh, thank you. And he said, well, good luck. And, and so literally two months later, every account that I had disappeared. And I thought, but I can't go back. I can't go back. He ain't going to hire me back. And uh, so, so, you know, just through relationships here in the city, I ended up getting some nice accounts that kept me afloat. And um, after a while, I said, okay, I know what kind of money I'm making, uh, but there has to be, when you look at the time value of money, I said, there has to be something that I can do a little more productive than spending all of my time cleaning toilets. And I remember I used to hang out at my cousin Josh's barbershop, and I'd just sit down there during the day, take a nap, and go clean toilets at night. And I said, man, I'm spending a lot of time just sitting around this barbershop. Um, and he and I were talking about goals one Saturday afternoon. And, and I, I'm driving down the interstate going home. And something says, you should go to barber school. And I'm by myself. So I looked at something and said, man, that's stupid. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like why, would I, why would I go to barber school? And I'm having this whole full-blown conversation with myself. I'm 31, and I'm like, why would I go to barber school? So I called Josh, and I said, man, I'm thinking about going to barber school. And he laughs at me. 
because it was a random, random thought. Called my buddy Mike and I said, hey, man, I'm thinking about going to barber school. And he said, do it. It's no brainer. Called his brother. He said, yeah, go for it. Do it. So I enrolled in barber school. And I'm thinking, this is stupid because I didn't go to college. Um, and normally, prior to going to barber school, I tell people, ah, college is whack. You, won't, you, you know, you can learn. Uh, it'd be cheaper to go to the library. I work at a college. I know. <laughs> <laughs> right? But, but my, I, I didn't realize how, how shot my social interaction was. I didn't realize how I deprived my school. I got the barber school, and I'm like, I don't like none of these people. <laughs> I was like, I'm only here because if I, I would not drink a beer with you. Don't talk to me. Don't, don't, you know. And so um, I get out of barber school because I almost got kicked out of barber school. Like, because I was the social interaction, it just, it, it rubbed me because I'm like, I only hang with people I want to hang with, but I'm forced to be here with you guys for 1,500 hours. And so, um, but anyway, I made out of barber school. Um, I'm cutting hair, um, opened up my own shop, and I lived on the south side of town. It's funny. Um, I, get, I get a call from Mayor McGill, and he says, hey, man, what side of town you live on? And I said, man, I, I live over here by Whirlpool. And he, he said, what? He said, as long as I had my insurance agency, he said, he said, I never took dollars out of the community that I served. He said, I lived in that community. And I said, okay, wow, that was deep. I meet Jay through a cousin of mine, and he comes into the barbershop, and he's like, where do you live? And I'm thinking, yeah, Mr. McGill, have a conversation? <laughs> and I said, man, I, I live by Whirlpool, on the other side of town. And he said, and he looked at me, and he said, Chris, <laughs> you can't serve your community and take the dollars out of the community, you need to live on this side of town. And I said, these guys are two of my biggest mentors. I said, there's no way that I cannot heed that advice, you know. And Make uh, sure you tell them that we didn't offer to be mentors. Yeah, so. so you just kind of took that on. Yeah, so, so I, t- I tell Jay every time he says that, that, look, I know the value of a mentor. I absolutely know the value of a mentor. And I don't care what disagreement I have with any of them. I ain't going nowhere. They can get a restraining order. I'm breaking that. <laughs> Sound kind of crazy, didn't it? Nah, but I, because I know the absolute value of a mentor, I feel like mentorship is time travel. I don't have to spend 30 years trying to figure it out when somebody says, hey, listen, I did that. Now, you got, you, I'm not saying you don't, that, that, you might want to hit that pothole if you want to, but I can tell you what would happen if you hit it. And so, um, but, but and, and honestly, I got into barbering because I was like, there's a ton of money in a short amount of time. All right. Then I went to North Carolina and met some guys out there, uh, No Grease Barbershop. And they were three brothers that was working together and have a multi-million dollar empire. And I'm looking at these three brothers because in our community, you inadvertently say, don't trust a person that looks like you and don't do business with a person that looks like you. You know what I mean? And it's just not an explicit statement. It's just kind of implicit. Like, uh, I'll go to this grocery store. I won't go over here. Or I'll support this business and not this business. And so, but when I saw them work together the way they were working, I came back home and, I, and my brother at the time, he was in between. He, he, had, he, had, uh, he, had, he had dropped out of college. And I said, you know, what are you, what, what are you doing? You know, what are your goals? And and he just, he didn't really know where he wanted to go at the time. And so I said, man, you should go to barber school. I seen these brothers working together and we can build something together. 
And uh, and the more I dig into the history of barbering, you know, because the question is, what do you do and how does it impact the community? And the more I dig into the history of barbering, there, there, I am absolutely proud to be called a black barber because the black barber from slavery until now has influenced politics, has influenced community. You know, you, when you go to the, the Black Wall Street Museum in Tulsa, you walk through the door and you sit down and the first thing they do is, is you listen to this Maya Angelou poem. And then you go, and the first door you walk through for the exhibit is TJ's Barbershop. And I said, I said, this, this museum, this powerful icon staple in this community, this Greenwood district, thought so highly of the black barbershop that they made it the first thing you see when you start your exhibit tour. And so I don't take the role of a barber lightly at all as a matter of fact it's funny um future school um charter school public charter school right around the corner from here they do internships uh on wednesdays and so they have students that they and it's, i think it's wonderful and they, they place students with different businesses so they can get the kind of um experience and whatnot so this this lady calls and she says hey i got a kid that wants to intern at your barbershop and i said listen we don't run our shop in the same way most shops run. The business structure is totally different, everything. When, um, and I said, I'm very serious about barbering. She said, okay, well, cool. Well, well I'll just bring the kid over, and then you can just see if his, he's a fit. I said, okay, cool. So I'm interviewing the kid. I'm a long game player. I think long term, and I move in the short based on the long. So I asked the kid, I said, why do you want to be a barber? And he said, well, that's my plan B. That rubbed me the wrong way. <laughs> and I said, okay. I'm not going to bring the hammer down. What's your plan A? And he said, basketball. I said, basketball NBA or basketball college? He said, basketball college. I said, okay, what are you going to do in college? And he says, I want to be an engineer. Then I said, listen, now, the way I see it, you can take a year off before going to college, go to barber school, 1,500 hours, and you can use barbering to pay for college. But you're telling me you were playing basketball because you want to get a college scholarship to get an engineer degree. I said, listen, I know your basketball coach, two degrees of separation. I know your basketball coach. And I don't think that he would advise you take a year off, go to barber school, then go to college. So I told that story to his teacher. His teacher said, I've, I've had him the whole year, and you in 10 minutes got more out of that kid than I did in the whole. And that's the impact of barbering. That's my, that's, that, you know, I, I had a, a white customer today, um, name is Sam. Um, I met him in college. We used to do back-to-school uh, back uh, back events at the Lincoln Youth Center, uh, and he had formed the Kappa Alpha uh, uh, fraternity. He was one of the founding members, and they were looking for volunteer stuff to do in the community, and so we linked up, and, and they would clean up trash after our uh, back-to-school bashes and stuff like that. And I was talking to him, and, and I was giving him a rundown of uh, late 1800s to now about politics and history and the black community and different stuff like that. And he looks at me, and he says, man, I really appreciate you having this conversation with me because I just didn't know. And I said, I said, man, as a black barber, I take that extremely serious. I take it serious because everybody who came before me, they had more excuses than I have. 
but they did it. And even and, and because they did it, all the more I need to do it. And then that's the impact on the community. We're the connector. You know, they're, they're, you know I met Glenn uh, back there through John and then connected a guy to their organization. You know, you come to my barbershop, I'm going to ask you what, what's your goals, what you got going on. And I'll find somebody for you to meet in order to achieve those goals. And so that's, that's my role as the black barber. Yeah. Karen Foley. <laughs> So as we as, as I'm hearing these conversations, um, I I can't help but think about the impact that Jim Crow laws and segregation had here in Fort Smith. You've talked about it with the schools. You've talked about it with the impact in the communities that you have. Um, can we talk a little bit about what was the impact? We'll start with you, Miss Tolliver, talking about you lived through Jim Crow here in Fort Smith. Tell us about what that experience was like for you, and then for the rest of you who are living in a post-segregation Fort Smith, how are you seeing the trails of that impact the city? How are you seeing the ways that Jim Crow may have been eliminated, but he's still hanging around a little bit? You Jim know? Crow as well. Yes, and Jane Crow. <laughs> Thank you. How, how, so how, are we, how did you experience that? in the moment and and we can all talk about how are we still seeing the shadow of Jim and Jane Crow here in Fort Smith well when I when I was growing up here in Fort Smith I was born in 1944 so do the math uh, 27 <laughs> so, so one, of, <laughs> one of my one of my grandchildren my oldest grandson says dang mom you were you lived through the 40s the 50s the 60s the 70s the 80s the nice shut up <laughs> <laughs> yes i did grow up during jim crow era and uh, i remember going downtown with my grandmother and and she was elderly and we would take a taxi and go downtown but we could not try on clothes in the department store we couldn't uh, there were uh, uh, black and white water fountains um, on every block, colored. And on the bus, there would be a sign that said, colors start loading from the rear. And so there were signs all over to let you know that you were not uh, as, as well as, as good as anybody else. Or you were not, um, you know, there was a difference, that you were like a second-class citizen. Um, you, couldn't, you couldn't eat in a restaurant. You couldn't... Um, so, so many things that you could not do. But when you weren't out in that area, when you were in your own element, like I grew up in Elm Grove uh, Housing Project, and that was a little city within the city. And we had our own playground with a swimming pool, and, and uh, then the 9th Street area where all the uh, restaurants and, and pool hall and, and barbershops and um, uh, the Oreo Club where they had uh, uh, entertainers. And it was it was all black, and it was it was wonderful because it was like the happy days, you know, in the housing project at least because everybody knew everybody. You could go from one end of the project to the other, and you could be gone until the street lights come on at night. Nobody was looking for you. Nobody was worried about you. I remember my little brothers; they were twins, and I would have to go and get Barbara to come and help me look for them in the evening when the lights came on. They wouldn't wouldn't be at home. And we'd go all through the project, Ronnie, Donnie, it's time to come home. <laughs> and they would always come home with something, a toy or a truck, and my dad would say, where, where did you get that? I found it. 
So take it back where you found it. It belonged to somebody. It belonged to somebody. It wasn't lost. But anyway, we lived um, a happy life. We went to our churches, uh, Malaloo Church. My aunt played the organ there. And uh, George McGill's father was the pastor of King Solomon Baptist Church. And my mother sang in the choir there. Jay's grandmother taught Sunday school there and, and vacation Bible school. And she was a sharp dresser. We always, on Sunday, we waited for Babe Walker to walk through that door, wondering what did she, was she going to have on that day. And some of you might remember that. <laughs> was there a civil rights movement here? How did the civil rights movement impact? Um, uh, civil rights movement, we had some, some people, in, like in 59, 59, that class, they uh, tried to sit at a restaurant uh, one time, sit-in, sit-in downtown at a at a counter, you know, mm -hmm. and they were just ignored. Just they were ignored. ignored. Like people they were ignored, stay there all day, and mm -hmm. nobody even did anything, said anything to them. So things like that, but I don't think, mm -hmm. I can't remember any anything that really uh, happened here like it did in Little Rock. Yeah, so there was the massive resistance and the, um, the, the backlash from the white community when the order to desegregate came came out? Well, uh, they just drug their feet. The order came from the Supreme Court in, in 1954. Yeah. And it wasn't until 66 yes. that that actually happened. And you can, in Fort Smith, right. that you can go back and, and read the uh, school board records and how they were just doing everything, gerrymandering and, and, and districts and everything to keep black and white children separate to keep them separate, and then they built a Southside High School. So they, are they more separate today than they were after the passing no, of they're, Brown? They're, they're, they're all integrated, you know, they're now. They're integrated now? Yeah. Okay. But, but are they now. integrated, or well, are they integrated? for example, Southside, when it was, it opened in 66, and Lincoln closed in 66, so there was no more black high school. And then in the early 70s, they tore it down. But the first black students to go to Southside didn't go until 1974, and they were two brothers wow. integrated in 20, 20 years, years. 20 years after, after the, Brown v. Board of Education. So that's that's how that's how adamant they were mm -hmm. about not doing what the <laughs> court Those system were wanted. Jay's cousins. Oh. They were the Vans. Uh huh. <laughs> Those yeah. were his cousins. The integrated South Side. All three of my my daughters here, and she had three sons. My three grandsons. All of them graduated from South Side. Okay. Yeah. Idea. So how do we see the vestiges of uh, that Jim and Jim Crow still in Fort Smith? So I got stories. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, still I'm the just tea kidding. Child, yes. Well, I, I actually, um, again, kindred spirits here because I was raised in the projects. So my mom was a single parent, and when um, she had me and my brother, we we actually lived there. So I have stories of actually the projects, uh, the, the buildings. My grandmother lived there. We walked across the street. Jay's grandmother actually lived next door to my grandmother. And we didn't even know that until we got married, how connected our families were because we grew up on two separate sides of Fort Smith. Jay was in Rolling O's, which was the ni nice black <laughs> suburb, you know, if you will. <laughs> And I grew up in Midland Heights, which was a little further from um, this area. So I, I would say, for me, going coming from Midland Heights to this side of town, this was the black side of Fort Smith. You know, so when you came here, this is when you saw black folks. 
And so my age group, we wanted to go to Howard because Howard, their, um, their cafeteria staff, they were chefs, you know, sous chefs. And I mean, they cooked, they seasoned the food, all of that kind of stuff. You heard stories about the rolls. All of my, um, my, my mom's family, my grandmother, they all went to Howard and Lincoln. So it was kind of like that legacy. And we didn't have that legacy because we lived on that side of town, right? Mm -hmm. So we always yearned to be on this side of town where the school, you had almost 100% black teachers um, hundred percent black um, cafe workers you had uh, majority black students our son goes there now he's the only black boy in his class wow. the only black boy when he started at Howard and kindergarten there were over 10 black teachers now there are they are down to two two or three wow. um, actual teachers so you you see the evolution and the impact of it because when Lincoln was here, they brought in not only the school, but they bought, brought in educators, people with master's degrees. They brought in entrepreneurs. They brought in a community and an ecosystem, an economic ecosystem of the hair, the, the, the food, um, the entertainment, all of those things. And it basically, when it went away, it was brain drain for our community. So people like me were living vicariously through the memories of our aunts, our uncles, our grandparents, of their experiences, those that chose to stay in Fort Smith that continued to have their families in this area. And when, when Jay and I came back um, and I received this position with um, 646, I said, we're gonna make sure we do something for black history consistently, right? And so the, the newspaper did a big write-up on us, and, and I rem will not forget this. A gentleman, and in the newspaper report, I kind of talked about 9th Street in its heyday and how it was a beautiful enclave of culture and arts that everyone loved. Well, I got a, an email from someone that did not look like me who basically stated, I don't know where you came from, but that area is full of drugs, prostitutes, and started li listing all of the stereotypes that certain cultures assume that we are as a people when we're not monolithic, right? Everybody has that. But this individual took the time to send this nasty gram of all of these different issues that they thought depicted that community when those things actually happened but it was after the brain drain occurred. So with integration came destruction in certain communities because you, 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 you tore us apart. You tore that community apart. You tore apart that ecosystem. People could not make a living unless they moved to Milwaukee and all of those different places. So it was, it was disheartening. And then to take it a step further, again, when you're trying to engage in community and say, these are things that actually happen. One of our exhibits, we actually found a water fountain that still had the plaque of white, black, and we put that up in the exhibit a couple of years ago. And then we also had an artifact of the only lynching, lynching on record in Sebastian County that occurred downtown. We had that actual photo up. And one of the volunteers said, you know, they received mixed reviews. Like some people, their response was, why would you put something like that up? And it was a heartfelt like, wow, 
you know, that hurts. And then other people, why would you put something like that up? And it was like, how dare you? How dare you? And again, that doesn't mean that's who we are today, but let's examine the history and the wrong that was committed against this, this gentleman um, over something of killing a police officer when he did not kill a police officer. Another police officer killed him, you know? So I, I think that when you look at Jim and Jane and, you know, that whole concept, it's here, but I think that we have to understand it's everywhere and use it as an opportunity to enlighten people on the story behind and just to get closer to what do we do with this now, you know? Because what was is no longer. This area is not the black community that it once was. But how do we keep our thoughts, our culture, engaged in this whole thing called life? Because it's going to continue to evolve, right? So. Can, can can I make a comment yes, kind please. of uh, along those lines and not really with the question, but, you know, those stories show us that, you know, far too often people say, I love my city. I love Fort Smith. But to truly love something, you got to love the ugly, dirty pieces of it. You have to question and, it. And, and you have to be willing to talk and discuss those things. Doesn't mean you love it any less, mm-hmm. but you understand who you love. Yeah. And it helps that love to grow deeper. Yeah. And if if we can continue to move down that path and understand this is who we are, this is where we came from, we're progressing past that, and I love you even more, my city, man, that's that that's why I truly love my city. Right. I love the the ugliness. I love the most beautiful pieces of it. Uh, my wife came from here. I mean, I love this city. And I think if people will take a step back and understand what it means to truly love, uh, I think that puts it in perspective. I, I have a follow-up on that in my line of work and perhaps in yours as well, um, as it relates to we're talking about Jim Crow and given our current situation. Uh, with schools and whatnot, and we're talking about this uh, very dark history. Are you seeing a lot of the pushback here and perhaps in your line of work um, against the CRT, right? The so, critical race theory. So I, I, I've, I've, I've gotten more emails, text messages, phone calls, uh, postcards, letters, whatever, regarding CRT, and I'll, and I'll keep saying this. What is CRT? <laughs> so... I don't, I don't even know if I can explain what CRT is. Better yet, say that we don't need this in our schools. How do we know we don't need it if we don't know what it is? And, I, and I'm not, I mean, I don't even think that's even coming up. CRT isn't even being discussed to be in the curriculum in Fort Smith. But there is a, a growing majority, a growing voice that we've got to stop that from happening. Uh, I, I Again, I, I've not spent enough time to truly understand what CRT is, and I tend to ask people who ask me, where do you stand on it? Tell me what it is. Well, to me, it's, it's just true history. It's the true history, the ugly history, that some people don't want to face. And do we change history just because it's uncomfortable for a group of people? Um, it's been said that we don't, we don't want our white children feeling ashamed of slavery. The, that their ancestors owned owned other people. They don't want to teach that, but that's a fact. It's a fact. So how can you, and our history has been whitewashed, especially if you, if you lived in the South, the books you had, 
they never mentioned a, a black person doing anything honorable or good or inventing something. Um, so it's, it's just to teach history. Why can't we just teach history as it is and not call it something that makes people afraid of it? And I, I think that's the point, though, because what is theory? When I get asked the question and get the emails, I'm like, um, not trying to get another college degree. <laughs> Got that. So whenever I hear the word theory, there's something more to that. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I choose not to even go deeper because it's irrelevant, right? It's irrelevant to me when it comes to the education of our children when you're looking at history, just history. Mm -hmm. When I went off to a historically black college, we had a, 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 a list of books that were your, your must-reads read before you arrived on campus your freshman year. You found books like um, Zornel Hurston, Our Eyes Are Watching God's, Blue God, Bluest Eyes. I mean, all these different books. So what did I do? I went to the library one summer and that summer and just started reading and, and, and educating myself. Those were books that were not on my reading list, right? I was reading books like um, Lord of the Flies, where you have a group of kids killing each other <laughs> and plotting against each other. And so when you look at what is in our libraries, what our, our children have access to, go to the library is my thing to people, is like, what, what's in the library? What are, what are you against in the library? Whether it's a public library or school library, do your research. It's not my job or someone else's job to do that. If there are books that I want to enlighten our son about, guess what, we go to online, we go to our bookstore, Bookish, and we say, hey, we're looking for this type of book. And then we choose how we want to curate his reading experience. And we said, okay, let's go into the library and we're gonna look at this section. But people are trying to create something that doesn't exist, mm -hmm. you know? And it's like, where is this coming from? Where, where why? Why? You, well, it's you, a part of the long civil war, right? It's a, it's a long, it's a part of that long fight to, I guess, because I mean, it's never, they never ask black parents, what do you yeah. want to teach your yeah. black children? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, so it, it disqualify you even as citizens mm -hmm. to, to have a part or to have a say in the education of your, so you're not even qualified as parents, which is to say, it's to continue that stereotypes that black parents don't parent. You know, uh, so it's 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 a part uh, as I think about it of that long civil war struggle, yeah. uh, where daughters of the Confederacy was right in the textbooks for yes. schools. Yeah. You know, but yeah. Well, I want to ask. We t you know we've spent a lot of time talking about Black history, and one of the things that that, that sticks out to me is when we think about our two degrees of separation. Ms. Oliver, you've talked about you know you're at a point where you're saying like, who was your grandmother? Uh, you're thinking about the, the things that you loved about the history of Fort Smith. What excites you about the future of Fort Smith? When you think about black Fort Smith 10 years from now, 20 years from now, what excites you about the future of this city? How do you keep yourself from saying, I liked how things were back then? And how do you, how do you talk to people about, I'm excited about where we're going? I'm excited about the men of excellence. Yes. <laughs> I'm excited about that program and other programs like that. Uh, I'm excited about, about the young people, uh, like Chris Chaney. I, I'm, I'm excited about his impact on Fort Smith and the people here. 
Um, yeah, I think we have a bright future. Yeah. We definitely do. Uh, we can see the changes here in Fort Smith. Uh, we had that, that picture of all the current yes, black leaders. And, and it's a wonderful picture, and it, it shows a black police chief, a black uh, deputy sheriff, Kevin Nixon. Yes. Talisha Richardson is on that picture. Jay Richardson, state representative, is on that picture. We have two justices of the peace women on that picture. So it just shows how far Fort Smith has already come. And so the future looks bright to me. Yeah, it's wonderful. Cool. Chris? Chris? Man, I'm, I see it firsthand in the barbershop. You know, we cut... Uh, we cut a lot of high school students, and it's amazing when a, when a, when a student is, you know, I had this kid, uh, I draw on my mirror, you know, because I'm like, I take my dry erase marker, and this guy, he just graduated, he's in the Army now, and, and, and he says, hey, man, you know, I'm going to be making money, so um, I need you to tell me what I need to do with it. And I said, well, what are you interested in? He said, investing. What, what, how do I get into investing? And I said, well... Since you're not talking about day trading, I said, this is what you need to do. You need a dollar cost average. When, it's, when, the, when the, the, the market is up, buy. When the market is down, buy. And I drew out, you know, when I said, hey, the, the S&P is here on average. Rate of inflation is average this. Uh, put it in the market. Don't, don't bury it in the savings account. Uh, and if you do have a savings account, you know, six months, you know, just. And, and he's like, okay, cool, I got it, you know. And I'm looking, and this kid is like, 18 you know when you know whether it's black hispanic white they come through and 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 when you hear them i got kids that come through and i say kids but they're adults but you know i got kids they come through and and i watched them their freshman year of high school and i watched them graduate and now they're in college and i'm sitting here like the future of fort smith like they because we talk about community a lot and so they understand the importance of staying here and it's because it's a catch-22, right? Um, I seen a stat a while back, and it said 19% of Sebastian County has a bachelor's degree or higher. So when you look at the jobs, the jobs are those jobs that, you know, for the most part, high school graduate. And then somebody says, well, ain't no jobs. There are no jobs because you keep leaving. Mm. You know, we don't have the education for those jobs because our educated people, they leave. Well, we don't have anything to do in Fort Smith. We don't have anything to do because as an investor... I'm not going to invest in something that you're not going to come to. It goes back to what you said <laughs> at the beginning, right? You were talking about how, you know, people were asking you where you living. That's you're right. You're living on the other side of town, and, right? And, and that was the most, and, and it was, to, to them, they, it might have been simple, but that was the most profound thing that, that two of my greatest mentors told me. Because I'm like, no, I need to invest in this side of town. And like Talisha said, I remember when my uncle would come home uh, from the chicken plant and he'd have a, a brand new Sade uh, cassette tape and he'd have his, his boots and he'd be ironing his, his pants, getting ready to go to the lounge or getting ready to go to the 808 Club or the, or the Diamond Inn. And, and it just made me proud. I'm just sitting there, you know, and, and I'm like, wow, he's like living his best life in Fort Smith. And so, and so now Jay has a bar prohibition and I feel like my uncle when I'm ironing my T-shirt because I'm like, I'm going to Prohibition tonight. <laughs> <laughs> you need to give us the address. Yes. Yeah. What's, what's the address, Jay? <laughs> 701 Rogers <laughs> Avenue. <laughs> and, and because I live on this side of town, guess what? When it's warm enough, I can just walk. <laughs> so it's amazing. 
that's that's cool. So one thing I would add to that is uh, when we look at 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 the I have completely just had a brain freeze. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. <laughs> the future of Fort Smith. Yes. Okay. So one thing that I do see about our future is when I was growing up, uh, my dad and his friends used to always tell, you know, well, you're going to go off to school. You need to go build your life, do something else, get out of Fort Smith. Well, I think we're getting more and more people like Chris, myself, Blue, stay here. We need you here. We don't need you to leave. And if you do leave, leave for a little bit and bring it back. So I think the message is what I'm excited to see now. It's no longer, you know, get your degree and get out of here. It's no, get your degree and use it here to help somebody else. And if you do leave, come back, bring it back and help us continue to build. So I'm super excited about that, that frame of mind. And John, as someone who works for higher education here in Fort Smith, right. what, what gives you hope as you see students come in and out of your door? You see, how do you convince them to not take that brain drain? How do you convince them that they need to invest here in this community? Well, luckily for me, I don't have to really do that because the students that I work with are planning to stay in awesome. Fort Smith. You know, um, they always talk about, you know, getting an MBA. So one of my students here doing valet, Glenn Brewer II, he is a major part with his, you know, works a major part with his family's business here, but he's talking about getting an MBA um, either here or maybe UA Fayetteville, but he always talks about coming back to Fort Smith um, and residing in Fort Smith to make the city better. Um, I just, in reference to the future and what I'm looking forward um, to in reference to Fort Smith in the future is just seeing those students develop um, and, and become those those leaders, you know, once the older generation you know, everybody's not going to stay young forever, you know. So once Jay decides to get out of politics, seeing one of those young men or one of the young women, you know, throw their hat in the ring and be the next state rep. Um, I'm also looking forward to the possibility of having an established Black History Museum. I know Ms. Tolliver didn't mention it, but that's one of her, her big... It's her, her passion, her dream, yeah. is to have a Black History Museum here in Fort Smith, and we have. So you guys have heard it today how much history there is here, um, and we need a Black History Museum in Fort Smith. So those are some of the things I'm looking forward to in the future. So for me, we failed to mention that we have we have two children. One's ten, and we have a 24 year old. Right. <laughs> so 15 year gap, give or take. So when our daughter went off to school she did not have a desire to leave. So we didn't move back to Fort Smith until her junior year of, of high school. And we're like, you can stay here. And she's like, really? That's right, I can. And she's lived in Dallas. She's lived in Austin. She's lived in Lexington, Kentucky, and Phoenix, Arizona. So there's connectivity in all of these different areas. And she's like, no, I'm going to live here. And so she runs one of our businesses. We own a a cupcake place. And she runs that, operates that, and has that experience. And so her classmates and people from her her university that she graduated from are like, I think that's super cool. You're 24 and you own your own business and da-da-da-da. And to me, I'm excited about the youth, but I'm also excited about our young entrepreneurs our business community, these, these, these students that opt not to go to college, not because they don't want to get a degree, they're choosing a different path for lifelong education, right? And then in addition to that, 
those businesses that are established right now that are con currently contributing to our ecosystem, how do we allow these minority-owned businesses to continue to cultivate their services with growth and sustainability? And when you see George McGill was one of one black insurance agent, we have three in Fort Smith now. We have three. So what other businesses that are beyond, and I'm not, I'm, I'm paying homage to our hairstylists, our barbers, and our, our foods, but what other businesses do we have out there beyond beauty, beyond food, that our folks are doing? We have window cleaning, we have you know, um, janitorial service, we have all these different businesses that we need to feed into like they did in Greenwood. My grandson has a moving company. <laughs> so, so, so that would be my thing. I would really want us to do our part to sustain these minority-owned businesses and, and allow that, that, that new wave of entrepreneurs to come in and see that support and be motivated by that sustainability. So, so I recently... Uh, um, I was asked to, to join the board of... of um, a fledgling black chamber of commerce. Now, it's been tried more than a few times um, as I was doing the research. But the, but the main reason I told the guy, yes, I'm on board, is exactly what you're talking about, Talisha. You know, when you look at the entrepreneurial spirit, Fort Smith has a history of rugged individualism, that frontier and and for years, for, forever, we've we've rightfully so paid homage to the to the to the cowboys, you know, the the, the good guys and the bad guys. We paid homage to that, and it's like, how do you how do you take that rugged frontier spirit and and move it forward and grow forward? And to me, that's the entrepreneur because the entrepreneur has to be a risk taker, a go getter, and have that rugged individualism to go against the grain and say listen I can do this come hell or high water and and I have an absolute passion I, I told the other people on this on this board I said I have an absolute passion I don't, I'm not afraid of a fight um, our, our black businesses or people doing business you know they miss out especially from the entrepreneur side they miss out on tons of money on the table because of business structures and business practices and stuff like that so i have a huge passion for that because there's a lot there's a lot of businesses here however they're not structured as businesses and so you kind of you know you know black owned business certifications through the the SBA and now you get uh jobs government jobs and these different things like that and so that's the thing that we hope to bring as this black chamber gets off the ground and saying hey listen bring your business here let's dust it off clean it up and let's put you in position to be a great not just a small or micro business micro business 10 10 employees or less at small business 500 employees employees or less how do you how do we make you from one to two create this business to now you're actually employing the people who say ain't no jobs here you know, and that's that's my particular goal as an entrepreneur here in Fort Smith. Wonderful. Uh, I think, you know, so much of that is happening from the River Valley all the way up through northwest Arkansas. And perhaps part of that is due to 
um, the thinking of uh, this generation of people who have gone away to school and, and have this new can-do spirit that you can make it um, anywhere, right? I mean, our parents, our ancestors did it before us with nothing. So certainly us having gone away to college can do it, right? But I also think that with technology and the internet and Instagram and all of that kind of stuff, we're seeing that businesses can flourish wherever you know you set them up as long as you know you're getting uh, your marketing out there and all of that kind of stuff so I am happy to know that all of this stuff um, is going on in Fort Smith I I had Jimmy Bell in my class he says he knows all of you guys yeah. so he says <laughs> to say hello <laughs> and so um, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to know all of you all and to have learned so much of what is going on in Fort Smith and we will be back right Matt oh absolutely yes this has been fantastic give our give our panel a round of applause thanks again to our panelists Chris Cheney Sherry Tolliver Talisha Richardson John Blue and Jay Richardson Thanks to the Palingas and Akib Art Gallery in Fort Smith for hosting this discussion. Our show is produced by me, Matthew Moore, and our host is Dr. Karee Banton.